You're listening to an EG Cities Live podcast. I'm Tim Burke, EG's Deputy Editor, and you're about to listen in to a panel discussion held earlier this month in Manchester to discuss the post-pandemic workforce and what it's taught real estate about the outlook for offices. More than two years on from the first work-from-home order of the COVID-19 pandemic, business leaders are still grappling with changes to working practices and what they mean for office occupancy. Panellists at our event discussed how the demands of the post-pandemic workforce are reshaping the office market and real estate decision-making. Despite the best efforts of many businesses to encourage workers away from Zoom screens and back into the office, our speakers acknowledge that across industries, the challenge is stark. I was joined by Kirsty Black, partner at Shoesmiths, James Evans, national head of office agency at Savills, Caleb Parker, founder of space-as-a-service brand Bold, Simon Bedford, partner in the Real Assets Advisory Team at Deloitte, and Dan Hyde, Development Director at MEPC, responsible for Manchester's NOMA scheme. Here's our conversation. James, I was going to ask you for a helicopter view um, to kick us off. As we reach the midpoint of the year, how would you characterise office take-up in the Manchester market at the moment? Do occupiers have a, a clear, or maybe clearer vision than they did of, of what they want and, and how is the market responding to those demands? Uh, <clears throat> I would say it's a difficult question to answer because no one size fits all. Um, I think the encouraging thing is that the market continues to improve from a pretty dire 2020 a better 2021 and as we go into 2022 some increased certainty around what workplace strategy may look like that would be a broad observation but of course when one drills into individual requirements individual businesses people are still wrestling with what is my footprint going to look like in the future I would say some of the smaller to mid-sized businesses who are possibly privately owned and are more fleet of foot in terms of making a decision you know, are in the market. Certainly, if you look at the take-up from the first quarter of 2022, it is largely underpinned by smaller businesses who, frankly, have had a bit of enough of indecision. Let's get on, let's make a decision, let's move to, to, to a new office space. Whereas the bigger corporates listed businesses that require arguably a... Um, a more difficult approval to be sought from possibly London or New York, that, that is more difficult. They are finding it increasingly difficult to make decisions because they simply don't know what their workspace is going to look like in six to 12 months. Of course, that's not everyone. We have had some big movers the back end of last year, saw two big technology companies come into the city and take the thick end of 15% of all take up in two deals, which is great for the city, but there's still a degree of indecision out there. The final point I'd make, those people that are moving are tending to, almost without exception, move up the quality chain, quality ladder, so are prepared to pay you know, more rent for better space because they recognise having been part of the great work from home revolution experiment, to get people back in, the space that they need to provide for their colleagues needs to be significantly better than it used to be so you know as a consequence of that rents surprisingly are you know definitely ticking up that um we've all talked a load about that flight to quality and it, it always feels like quite a simple term that can catch a lot of different factors within it whether you're talking about the quality in terms of 
the sustainability of a space, the amenities in it, the, um, uh, the, the, the connectivity. Um, Dan, what do you think the, the clearest differentiators are becoming that set, that set the best offices apart from the rest? And I know I'm about to ask you everything that's going on at NOMA in answering that question. Yeah, well, I, th I think they revolve around three kind of spheres and environmentals, absolutely critical, both the embodied carbon that goes into, into the building, but more so the operational carbon um, that's, been, that's being used. Um, 400 Square is, is part of a, um, a pioneer scheme called uh, Neighbours UK. It's an accreditation that's been brought over from Australia. Um, and they've, they've had some fantastic results in driving down the operational performance. And I think that's becoming key from both a, a landlord perspective um, and more so a tenant's perspective and, and looking at that kind of collaborative approach to the way uh, an office um, uh, operates and, and works day to day. Um, I think the other one is about getting people back to the office, um, attracting people and retaining the talent. You know, Manchester is really fortunate that I think nearly 60% of um, university students stay in the city. Um, so there's a massive talent pool, but it's, it's getting them to come to your, to your business, I suppose. Um, and to do that, what we're trying to do is promote um, amenity space, versatile amenity space within the building, um, but also um, a sense of community um, involvement and inclusion. Um, that gives somebody the reason to, you know, tag a spin session onto the morning or, you know, go, you know, go and join a, a kind of choir club at lunchtime or do a bit of bread making after work. But you come into work for, for more than just your nine to five daily grind, um, giving people a purpose to come in. And I suppose the third sphere is, is the kind of smart enablement, which, which, kind of, um, which kind of glues the other two together. Um, Four Angel Square, again, is, is smart enabled, um, working with smart spaces. So the building will have an app that will sit on a, a community app for NOMA itself. Um, you know, it'll give you operational performance for, for the building. It will allow you to access kind of offers of the wider community. Um, it'll give you real time kind of traffic and travel information. Um, and then within your own demise, it'll allow you to, to kind of book desks, control desks, um, book lockers out, book cycle spaces. Um, there's, there's been a huge evolution, um, I think, over the last couple of years um, in office accommodation, the, the hotelification of, of office space. Um, Caleb and I were talking earlier about, um, you know, it's, 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 it's happened in, in hotels where you have a brand, and I think nowadays people are looking for a type of brand within the office accommodation. They want to know what they're, what, what they're going to receive when they come to work. Um, one of our submitted questions was about demand in different locations and how activity in peripheral towns in Greater Manchester compares to what's being seen in, in the city centre. Um, the question there was, is, is there a shift to lower tier centres that's taking place? I don't think there's been a dramatic shift. I mean, prior to the pandemic, I used to talk a lot about centralisation and businesses that historically were located in conurbations outside of the city centre or even further afield coming into the city centre simply because they recognised it was easier to attract talent. Um, has that theme continued? Has it been inflated? I'd say it's probably as it was. Um, there are towns outside 
the city centre that are actually doing remarkably well. If you take somewhere like Altrincham, Sale, you know, rents are at record levels, take up is actually doing pretty well. So I don't think there's a structural shift in terms of location. I think the structural shift is more around product offer, like Dan's just talked about, or indeed um, the types of leases and the, and the types of space people are taking. Kirsty, how, how important is, um, is the issue of transport and infrastructure here? It's something we, we, we were talking about sort of before this evening and you had some thoughts on, yeah. on that shape and demand here. In terms of getting people back into the office, I think every company that I speak to, including Shoesmiths, are very keen to see people again. And obviously one hurdle to that is the infrastructure in terms of getting in. I think we all agree that if we could just go like that and be in the office and then go like that and be at home, it would be a lot easier. It's all very much a, a, a personal thing. We, we discussed earlier in terms of there's, there can't be any generalization. So one of the things that we discussed was whether or not there's a difference between senior and junior people being in the office and I think in terms of what I've seen at Shoesmiths we can't say it's just that that group of people that are in it's all personal choice as to why people want to be in the office on a particular day so getting in quickly is absolutely key but then wanting to be in the office so a lot of the reasons why people come into our office we have in our team a team Tuesday so um, my team are in on a Tuesday so that we all see each other we all collaborate on that day if there are events in the office we've got book clubs we've got yoga going on we've got lots of events charity sales um, lots of things like that just to get people back into the office and to collaborate again because it has been isolating being in working from home I think we can all agree on that and also in terms of this massive um, issue at the moment to retain talent if you're just working in isolation at home then you could work anywhere you know you can get you know similar clients similar work at a different location we want people to work for shoesmiths and enjoy working for shoesmiths so giving them a reason to come into work enjoy being in work you know we do have fun in the office everyone in from Shoesmith, laughing. Um, so that's really key to our values, is to get people wanting to be in. Um, but, but equally, be flexible. So we're not expecting people to be in five days a week, far from it. You know, if they're coming in one or two days a week and enjoying those days in the office, that's what we want as a firm. And I think across companies I speak to, that's what the aim is. Is there anything that you found has, has really worked in terms of encouraging people to, to come back into the office? I know there's no sort of silver bullet here, there's not a, a simple, oh yeah, we just need to offer this. Well, we um, joke, didn't we, about bacon butties, but um, I think there is some I truth never joke in that. about bacon butties, I'm <laughs> very serious about that. So, um, having a reason to be in, so, you know, a, a strategy day, a team group together, um, meet, you know, meetings that, that are. That are have some value to them and also you know we did joke when we talked about lunches and bacon butties and drinks in the evening you know those are things we're, we're, we're social beings aren't we and so getting together as as people and it's not just us as a firm clients are wanting to see us more as well so going into their offices seeing them face to face rather than on a computer screen I think I've certainly seen a huge uptake in that in the last three or four months for the rest of you, what, what are some of your experiences being just within your businesses of trying to encourage people 
back to the desks, maybe without pulling an Elon Musk and <laughs> suggesting that they're going to be fired if they don't show up the next day. So I think, I think it's interesting, isn't it, that we didn't have this problem three years ago. I mean, the amount of different things that we've just talked about in terms of trying to drag people back into an office building where they used to just come anyway uh, is quite remarkable. I mean, book clubs, macrame, you know, you name it, bacon sandwiches. We used to do bacon sandwiches, didn't we? We actually did. We just got back to doing it again. I don't think it's about bacon sandwiches because you, we, we've always done that. It's just that we're trying to get people back. Um, lots of people don't want to come back. We have to recognise that fact uh, that lots of people actually have settled for a different way of working. Uh, and there is now, I think, uh, a settling out of a pattern. I think we're two years post March 2020, I think. Um, feels like an eternity. And my overall view will be that those people who, who value uh, community, who value uh, collaboration, who want to learn, who want to um, uh, professionally progress, let's say, in, in the sort of world that we operate in, will use an office. Those people who don't, of which there are many, uh, have already made a decision that they're probably not going to actually come back to an office location to work, and they don't need to. Lots of employers are actually agnostic about that because there are obvious reasons why from an from a overall cost of delivery uh, that um, people working from home is, is, is economically more efficient than people taking up office space in a city centre location. So we have to deal with some, some realities. My overall view would be that we will continue very much to have a, uh, an economy that, where people do value being in city centres and town centres and working together. There will be a second part of the economy which is about virtual and remote working. How we get them to work together, I think, is the problem. I think it's a significant problem. It's a difficult balancing act, isn't it? Because we've come a long way from probably when we first started in our careers, where presenteeism was a big thing. Mm -hmm. So if you were in the office and you were working late and you were seen to be there, it would then push you on in your career. I wouldn't. Ne I'd never want to go back to that. Don't but think there we has need to. got to be a, a. There's got to be some benefit to being in the office, and we talked about, you know, learning from people, mm -hmm. having the senior managers in, which you know we do have a lot of senior managers that, that are coming into our offices. But then encouraging the juniors that actually there's a benefit to, to, mm -hmm. to being in the office. And we talked amongst our group, didn't we, about this fear factor and how some firms have really got it horribly wrong, where they've said. In, there's, a, there's a large law firm that said if you're not in the office for three days a week then you can take a 20% pay cut. That was in their London office and it went horribly wrong. So there's a fear factor that you want to be seen as the firm with this fight for talent that people want to join and they're going to get this flexible, agile working. But when they're in the office, there's a benefit to it. I think the labour market as well yeah. introduces an additional sort of layer to this question in that it is exceptionally tight at the moment. Anyone who's recruiting in any industry at the moment is finding it exceptionally difficult and therefore you know, senior leadership are having to accept the fact that people want to work more agile. It might be two days at home, three days in the office or whatever it may be. Um, you know, if, if unemployment was raging, it might be a slightly different argument. Um, but you know, for me, I think it is an acceleration of something that was already happening, albeit very slowly. Uh, 
people will find a way over the next two years of making it work for their businesses, whatever that may look like. I mean, I spoke to a large PLC the other day that said that they were struggling to recruit into their in-house legal team because of the package. So I just assumed with all these rising salaries that it was to do with the salary. And they said, no, it's not the salary. It's because we're a retailer. And so as a business, we have to have a model where we're expecting people to be in the office four days a week because yeah. our shop staff have to be in. So we can't be seen to be then requiring only a certain element of our staffing. And they said that so many people have turned them down purely on the basis they do not want to be in the office four days a week. I think we had a question in the audience. I don't know if we could get a microphone just over here. Um, on the back of what all of you have said so far, it sounds like there's a really high demand for higher grade office space. Would you say lower grade office space is almost becoming obsolete? That's a good question. Should I take that one? Um, I think for a number of reasons there are buildings that are approaching the obsolescence uh, very quickly, much more quickly than they would have done prior to the pandemic. Uh, largely as a consequence of that flight quality, but also to Dan's point around sustainability, sustainability um, there are a number of buildings that are pension fund institutional investors who take their responsibility you know, very seriously in terms of uh, the types of buildings they invest in are getting out of those buildings. You know, they are selling because they think those buildings are approaching obsolescence and will essentially drop off the edge of the cliff. Uh, in some respects, that's no bad thing because it's a bit of a forest fire. It will take some of that stock out of the market. Uh, what it then gets used for uh, remains to be seen, arguably residential. Caleb, um, you, you opened the doors at, um, at Bold in Manchester during the pandemic. What, what have the past two years highlighted, do you think, about the space as a service offering? Well, I think... I mean. I'll address that, but I want to bring up something that we've just talked about because I think it comes into that. Um, you know, Simon, you mentioned how we didn't have this problem before the pandemic. And um, you mentioned uh, values a couple of times as well. And I think before the pandemic, uh, people were mandated to come into an office. That's right. Um, there was no choice. And over the, over the past couple of years, we've realized that um, office workers can still get shit done working from home. Right? Um, so why do they need to come back into the office now if, if they don't want to? And I think what we can provide free food, we can increase, improve transportation, we can do all sorts of carrots to get people back in. Um, but I, I believe the, the bigger um, threat to our industry is not COVID um, or what was COVID, it, it's uh, the bad company cultures. Um, it's why are people not wanting to come back in? Because of toxicity, because um, it's 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 a better environment when they're working from home and they don't have to be around negativity or uh, a culture where they have to you know be next to the boss at 7 a.m. or they or they don't you know. So um, I think we have to, as an industry, we have to address that. I think we should be standing up for good company culture, and um, that should be what we encourage to happen in our buildings. And so, to me. Um, you know, that has nothing to do with space as a service. Mm. has nothing to do with office space, really, but it does. And that, to me, is what we've, the biggest learning that I've taken out of the past. And thank you for shaking your head, you know. But, um, yeah, I, I, I just want to say that first. Yeah. Uh, as far as space as a service goes, I think the other thing is, um, you know, people, well, I, for one, 
You know, I want to, I want to be around like-minded people. I want to be a, a place where I feel taken care of and where I feel like I belong. Um, and historically, in, uh, in, in, our, in our industry, we've, we've leased white boxes to companies for 20 years and you know, taken checks from them four times a year and happy days. Um, and that company then takes that white box, turns it into a branded box and tells everybody they have to fit in. And if you ask 100 different people what they want from an office, you'll get 100 different answers. So I think what Space as a Service does is it, um, it enables uh, different experiences to get branded up um, and delivered to people and let people choose to plug into those experiences when they need to. Um, and so they're not stuck in a, um, a white box or a branded box that they don't feel comfortable in. Um, Simon, did, um, did Deloitte's time in a WeWork shift for you uh, any way that you viewed what an office should look like, feel like, offer? What did, what did you take away from? Well, still in the WeWork still, space. Still in there. Uh, what what have you taken away from that? Might not be for too much longer. Still in that space. Um, uh, it's really interesting. I, and what Caleb's saying there, believe it or not, big corporate, 22,000 employees in the UK. I get all that. I might not have got that a few years ago. So we're all on a, we're all on a path here. Um, that presenteeism point is really important. Um, we, we cannot and will not uh, even contemplate that kind of approach to working life anymore at Deloitte. Um, in terms of the way we use our space, it's a great time to be fit in fit out. Anybody who's in fit out, great news for you. You're going to have a fantastic <laughs> time over the next three to five years because we're going to have to change everything inside the building. There's no question about that. Uh, we desperately need to move on from what we've got to what we need if we're going to move our working model away from an idea where people do want to be with colleagues rather than getting shit done at home. Um, I don't mind that, but I don't think that's the way forever. And I know you don't either. Yeah, yeah. But we, so for us, WeWork's been good because it's been able to give us a bit of a different view of quite a stodgy you know, type of corporate being. I know what we are, don't worry. Um, although some people think we're a tech business now, which is quite interesting. We've got to look forward and we will change massively the way in which we work. No question of that. I, I think, I think the, um, you know, when you said values that in, in everything you described and the fun you want to have, I, I really appreciate it because I think that um, you know, people, we, we want to be stimulated. We want to um, have a purpose and a lot of companies recruit based on practicalities and salaries. And I think, I imagine a world where, um, you know, companies recruit on their values. They, 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 that's what they're advertising. Come join us, because this is what our mission is. And they attract like-minded people, people who believe in that same purpose. And with people who believe in a purpose, they believe in a mission, they're not just working for a paycheck. Uh, well, you can trust when they're working from home, they're gonna get shit done, but they're also gonna come to the office on the days that they need to. Uh, I don't believe in this, um, either or, or you know, uh, you know, versus world. I believe plus, not versus, it's both. I think just there's a point around real estate being an industry that historically has moved at a snail's pace. You know, things take a long time to happen in, 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 in the property industry, whether it be building a building or transacting a lease or whatever it is. I think the nature of take up has changed significantly within the city used to predominantly be underpinned by financial services, professional services, who would also move relatively slowly. It's now underpinned by technology businesses who 
move quickly and they expect everyone to move quickly. So landlords and developers have to adapt to that and as a consequence many have moved away from a much more traditional institutional leasing model where you, know, you have a landlord and you have a tenant and it's a 10 year lease and there's the lease and we might get it signed in two months and that's the way we've always done it. You know, the fleet of foot landlord is succeeding at the moment because they are getting ahead, they've got a competitive advantage, they will move quickly, we'll get this deal done in two days. You know, that is a significant change from even two to three years ago. Um, so much of what we've talked about seems to revolve around people, people and culture. I'm wondering how just the very physical aspects of our offices need to change as well to reflect that. Kirsty, I wonder if you can talk a little about how um, Shoesmith's, I guess, still relatively newish office. How has that been? Um, yeah, so we're, we're how has that been laid out and designed, just in terms we're of reflecting to work new out ways? Earlier, I think it's been five years since we've been at the XYZ building, and when we moved in there. It was very innovative in terms of Shoesmiths as a, as a firm. It was, it was a, a move to Agile that, um, that predated, obviously, the pandemic. Mm. And we wanted everyone to have different spaces for different styles of work. So we've got your traditional desk structure that you'd expect. We've got no kind of offices with closed doors, which I think most firms have moved away from now anyway. But I still remember from when I was a, a trainee being sat in a room with, with the partner. We've got, we've got the desk space, we've got individual pods, we've got small pods that you can go and lock yourself away in. We've got a library, which is very quiet. And then we've got the XY zone, which is a collaborative space. So, and we've got an inside garden, we've obviously got the kitchen. So we've got lots of spaces that you can move around in the firm that you can then, they've all got a different purpose. So. You know, if you're going to have a team meeting, you might go into the XY zone. If you're going to do a big project, we've got a room called the factory where you can go and put all you know, your paperwork, etc. So I think we were quite innovative in that. What we've found over the pandemic is that the move, obviously, for everyone to work from home, because you know, I've still got friends that are lawyers that you know, are, are still in the office five days a week and have been throughout the pandemic. But I think most of the larger law firms are adapting and more agile. So we've now got to sell ourselves on a, not just the fact that we're agile and flexible, but that we've got certain values that we live so that we're not just saying to people, yes, you can work from home and we'll, as a team, adapt around as much as we can people's needs within that and if you come into the office we've got different space so if you need to get your head down and get work done you can go to the library we we can't just say that we've got to live it as well and i think we we are lucky that we do do that within our firm which i think is slightly different to other places that, that i think i think that's a really important point because james hit the nail on the head it was, it's, it's an enforced experiment the pandemic everybody had to work from home so i think we were gravitating towards flexible, agile, hybrid working, we were getting there, but we'd have got there very, very slowly. Suddenly, we're an extreme of it where we've experienced it, majority of people love it, and we're there, and that's what we're doing. And at the moment, it's all good because productivity and returns for businesses are all pretty good, pretty rosy, and people say, no, oh, this works. Now, the question is, does that work because you've got a body of people working at home that used to work in an office and grew up with values and culture and an ethos that a business has that you generate, that you pour time and effort into, learning from the leaders, the juniors coming through? Um, is that productivity there because 
those people already have those values instilled and will over time as the, the kind of junior starters start coming through and they're either not in the office or their leaders aren't in the office or the people they look up to or they're going to learn from their mentors, they're not there and productivity starts to drop off. I think you, you may see a change from you know, a, a carrot approach to a, a, a bit more of a stick approach because business is business at the end of the day. And I completely get your point, Caleb. It's like I say to my kids every day when they go to school, I say, try your best, I say, be respectable, but most of all, have fun. And ultimately, that's what we all want to do. So you want to come into the workplace um, for an experience to, to enjoy yourself. It needs to have a purpose, but at the same time, it's a business at the end of the day, it needs to produce returns. So, yeah, so, so I think so the, on that I point, think, uh, yeah, I mean, a live example, sorry Simon, I was with a technology business yesterday who are Californian based, they've got a big office in Manchester, which interestingly, they chose Manchester because of the talent pool, but also because salary costs are essentially half of what it would cost mm. to recruit in Palo Alto, which is great, great competitive advantage. Um, they're recruiting something like 36 apprentices and graduates this year, and they told me that 32 of those 36 new people said they wanted to be in the office at least four days a week because they want to learn, which I think is a really important thing. I know I will be saying to my children, you know, if you get the chance, you've got to get in there to learn, not every day, but build a network, understand, you know, learning by osmosis we talked about, you know, sitting next to, you know, a senior colleague listening to what they're doing. I just don't think you can learn at the same rate if you're sat at home four or five days of the week. We had someone ask about this in one of the submitted questions, whether, there's, whether we're seeing a, a sort of generational divide develop here, whereby um, younger workers are getting fed up with uh, the sort of social exclusion of just sitting at home, not coming into the office, while maybe their older colleagues actually are quite enjoying their, their freedom of not having to go in. But yeah, it, I mean, from, from my personal perspective, what I've seen within our organization, and speaking to friends, it's, it's neither of those, actually. I mean, junior people, I think, had a horrible lockdown, sat in arguably small flats in a bedroom, miserable, you know, were desperate to get back mm -hmm. in. Um, more senior people also wanting to get back in for different reasons. Arguably, there is the bit in the middle where there are people who ne don't necessarily train people, lead a team, they just do what they do. I'd say possibly that is more where the reluctance to get back at all lies. But yet, Leesman data shows, that their data says that the average home performs better than the average office. Yep. Keywords average, of course, because the, the best office probably performs way better than the average home. But that was interesting data to see as well. So I think there's two or three bits of, uh, bits of data that might help with the, 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 this bit. One is about productivity. Productivity generally in, in the service sector has actually increased through the last 12 months. So most professional services businesses will have seen an increase in productivity with a hybrid working model. Um, is that sustainable over the longer term? I'm with Dan, I'm not sure. I'm a bit nervous about that. There are some people who think it will because um, for, for, for reasons of more efficiency, but it's definitely increased. If you look at a lot of businesses, I think I agree with your anecdotal view, but there's a data set that says actually it isn't age-related in terms of people's uh, desire or otherwise to be in or out. We've got most of our, uh, I think 75% of Deloitte employees are under the age of 30. 
around about half of the people who work for our business are not coming into the office very often at all because of the way they work. So I'd like to think you're right, but I'm not sure you are because I'm not sure the data's telling me you are. I would prefer you to be right around that but middle you, you, segment. But you, as an industry, was significantly more agile than I would say any other sector yeah. prior to the pandemic. So it's, it's interesting that it's this demographic point, which I would, I would have thought we would have had a lot more younger people coming in to the office than we have. It's not quite played out that way. I think the interesting thing, turning it around to Manchester, and I think there's a question around where Manchester sits in all of this, it sits really strongly in one context, in that so many people actually live in the city centre and can access an office very, very readily. And one thing we've not talked about is the cost of actually getting to work, because the cost of getting to work has changed, it's gone up quite significantly, um, and lots of people feel that. But actually, if you live in the town, it doesn't cost you anything. And that's a competitive advantage that Manchester could use, very much in its favour, if it wanted to build a stronger and more uh, resilient sort of um, office sector. It's about what you come into the office to do, though. I don't want people in my team coming into the office on the day they're coming in to just sit at their desk and work and not speak to anyone. The reason that we're in on that particular day is to ensure that we're talking to each other, we you know, collaborating, eating bacon having sandwiches, joke, eating our bacon sandwiches. But you know, if 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 you've got a big job to do where you need to get your head down, then it is often better to be in a quiet space, which might then lend itself to being at home. It's just about making sure that we encourage people to have a week that enables them to then take a step back from the head down work to actually discuss what's going on in the team yeah. to, 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 to see what's going on in people's lives as well. And I think you described how you designed the space, um, it enables people when they do come in because when they come in they're probably not meeting with people the whole day, there's times where they might you know, escape to a place where they can have some head down work so you have to design the space to be able to accommodate all of this. It's going back to the plus not versus. There's, um, there's a punchy question on Slido there. Um, has the future of city centre offices as an asset class, and I think this is more, more general than simply Manchester, but has the future <coughs> of city centre offices as an asset class been permanently damaged by changes in occupational requirements brought about by the pandemic? James, is that um, what you'd be willing to... Permanently damaged is a pretty, maybe, uh, full-on question. I'll say that. <laughs> it's, it's a definite no. No, it's not been permanently damaged. It has changed. It will continue to change just as it was prior to the pandemic. Um, investors who will fund development um, still want to invest in best-in-class office space. I mean, the office is not dead. You know, let's be clear, it's not dead. It's an evolution, not a revolution in my mind. Yeah, well, I, I agree with that. It's, it's, yeah, I think at the start, people were saying, oh, we're going to take 20% less space because uh, we don't need it and then that went down to kind of you know 30 percent less space and then it's kind of gravitated back up now we said well, we're going to take the same quantum of floor space but we're going to use it differently um, and i still think we're working or, or occupiers are working their way through um yeah through that kind of decision making process and um i don't think any one person or one one company is going to nail it first time but having that flexibility you know, including a, a flex offer within an office development, including some amenity space, um, 
I think is, is beneficial. I do think there's going to be a legacy of buildings that have become outdated. There's another question on there about Class A, B and C office buildings. And, and I think, you know, the flight to quality, you know, the, the investment that we're spending uh, at Noma on Four Angel Square, on the shower facilities, kind of hotel style shower facilities, excellent lockers, Bluetooth enabled lockers, cycle provision that you can book remotely, contactless entry, you know, it, it's, it's an, it, it's, you know, you'll want to come to work to use all the gadgets and all the smart enablement. And I think there's an asset class, not just from an environmental perspective, that will get outdated and there will be a whole plethora of buildings that will sit there and until the value of them comes down to a reasonable le level when they can be stripped back and the embodied carbon of the foundations and the structure can be kind of repurposed, um, I do think there's a, there's a huge issue for those asset classes. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. We, we, language has crept into the office sector around a green premium, mm. i.e. does a particularly environmentally uh, friendly building command a higher rent versus a brown discount, the opposite being true. Yeah. I think they're sort of, they're not very useful terms. I think it's more a case of those buildings that will not meet the sustainability requirements of businesses going forward will just not let, irrespective of whether they be five pounds a square foot or three pounds a square foot or we'll give you them for free. Well, I'm not going in even if it's for free because I've promised my stakeholders, I've made a corporate commitment that we're on a journey to net zero carbon or whatever it may be. So um, we talked about originally permanently damaged, hasn't been any permanent damage. I think the sustainability thing will permanently damage um, elements of the office sector. In I terms think, of think just stranded assets. Just being, completely stranded. Yeah, I think yeah. The other, the other, your video made two really important points around Manchester. Employment levels likely to grow by 11% over the next few years, 11% on hundreds of thousands of people. There's a lot of people working in the city and there's a lot more people going to be working in the city in the future. 7% population growth will be a city of over 3 million people within the next two or three years and growing. Um, those fundamentals mean that people will still want and need a place to work. Yeah, yeah and I want to say that while ESG, sustainability, green are all 100% worthy efforts, causes, and we, it's the right thing to do, that's not going to get people back into an office. True. It might keep an office from being leased because it doesn't meet the board objectives. Um, but if you think about, I, I just think about, um, I did a podcast with um, Michelle Schneider from Salesforce, and she talked about how pre-pandemic, everybody went off-site for their blue sky thinking to, to get inspired. And she said now people are coming on site <laughs> Brilliant, yeah. for their blue sky thinking because people are working remotely and they come on site to, to, to get inspired. And um, I think that offices and the city centers, or that it's, it's not dead, I agree. I think we're in a period of change and that evolution needs to happen. That's interesting, I like that. We are, um, we're creeping up on the hour here. Um, were there any other questions from, from the floor? Yeah, so I, I think um, I think Kirsty, you touched on it, but the I think the key thing for me is the um, the, the kind of w what are people going into the office for? It has to be task driven. So, um, you know, I, I work much better at writing a document at home, but I can't collaborate and draw a, a drawing quite the same as when I'm sat around a table with someone. So at the minute, my understanding is that companies mandate three days a week in the office or two days a week. But those days need to be flexible so that when I need to collaborate, I'm in the office and there's an environment to allow or to accommodate that. So I think 
from a design perspective or a, a kind of developer perspective, it needs flexibility at the heart of everything we do, and then there needs to be flexible facilities for quiet spaces. Uh, as Caleb said, you're not going to be collaborating all day, so on the time you're not, you need a quiet space to get get across. So I think I think for me the key is the flexibility in not just the space we're providing, but the, the way um, businesses operate as well. Um, I'm sure there was a question in there somewhere, but. <laughs> <laughs> Any responses? I mean, we're, we're very lucky in the space that we've got. It, it, the, the different areas that you can go to means that you've got that flexibility to to collaborate or to go and you know have some quiet time by yourself. I think one of the things that we discussed was how you then plan for the peak. So the day where you've got your strategy day and everyone's in the office and there's not a single desk in sight, do you then adapt? Do, do you buy space based on every employee, or do you accept that? on a day like that you might not be able to house all your employees. I know that's something that you've been looking at, isn't it, as a business, is how you no how much space you take. There's no prospect in the world of, of us having space for everybody who works in the business. I mean that's not the future. Um, because and, and I, I would tend to completely agree with I'm not sure it was a question or a comment, but I, you, you've summed up I think completely part of the challenge in that our workspace needs to be able to adapt to everything that you want to do, uh, to do your job. Um, and it's not easy. No. It's, very, it's actually quite difficult to manage all of that. We've still got a world of Zoom and, and Teams and all these other um, uh, different types of calls. We can't accommodate all of those because people find it very difficult to find the right kind of space and we also want to talk to each other and then we want quiet space to, to, to do whatever we need to do. So it's actually quite difficult I think it's a good thing to, for it to be difficult. I think it pr provides us with a, a challenge for the future. It should be an exciting opportunity for us to change the way in which we do things, but it's not without its challenges. You were saying as well that you have quite a few hybrid meetings. So you've got people in the office and then you've got people saying, I want to dial in. And I Always. I think those are the most challenging at the moment, but you could easily use tech, couldn't you, to, to solve that? Yeah. Sure, I, I mean, I, I have hybrid meetings all the time. Whether it's because I'm working from home, or I'm in an office with four or five people, but then we've got four or five people on the screen. So I think our spaces need to accommodate the fact that that's going to happen. I'm going to take a slightly past seven. I apologize with a, a final question, but I like this one. So I'm going to put the pressure on you all by asking you to be very succinct in your answers. Um, I'm not sure who submitted this. Apologies that we didn't have all of the names. But um, I thought it would be quite an inspiring note, hopefully, to finish on. Um, question was, why do you think that Manchester has been so successful at reinventing itself as a dynamic growth city when other cities have not been able to? Are there lessons that other cities could learn from Manchester? And I wondered if you could each just put forward one lesson that you thought other cities, and this might not be necessarily to do with the return to the office, could be anything you'd like to pick out. What, what, um, what lessons could other cities in the UK learn from Manchester? And Simon, if I could start with you and maybe we... I'll, keep work it, I'll try and keep it brief, having worked here for quite a long time. Uh, I think Manchester's always been prepared to seize at the moment. Uh, it, it, it's not a city that sort of sits around a policy. If something's there to be got, it goes and gets it. And I think it's always been very good at that. Yeah, for me, it's the people. Absolutely seizing the moment, innovative, but the people. We've got a good talent pool here. Well, as an American living in London, I'm probably not the best qualified to answer that. <laughs> um, but what I like about Manchester is, well, it, first of all, it's on fire in a good way. 
but I think, I think it is the people and it's the innovators here and embracing the change. Yeah, I think it's all of those three. Plus, I think, I think th there's been really good leadership at a strategic level and they've, they've seen the opportunity, they've gone for it and they, they've, they've made Manchester truly a global, a global city that stands on its own two feet. And um, I think they have also got a challenge to go that next cycle and, and reinvent themselves again to become that global city that is really sustainable and, um, and very green. And again, that's going to take some pretty high level strategic thinking in terms of the infrastructure network. Weather. Last word. Weather. Weather. Yeah. <laughs> All that sunshine. No, people, tell them, tell them. Yeah. All the occupiers, people want to bring their business to the city centre because of the people within it. I th interestingly, I think, in a perverse way, um, the way this is all going to play out is going to be to the advantage of Manchester at the expense, to a certain extent, of the capital. Because I okay. think there will be an even greater decrease in the brain drain to London, which we haven't seen that much of over the last five years. People will graduate here, stay here. Yeah. Ten years ago, they graduate here, they go to London. I think it's going to be the other way around now. I think people, there's plenty of people we all know who are actually saying, I can go and live in the Northwest. I may work for someone down there, but I can work up here as well. So and that comes back to business cultures as well, because previously that's what you had to do. You had to be going there, yeah. down to London, seen to be Bring present. Stripes, and, yeah. and I think um, there has been a, an evolution through the pandemic where people have become much more cognizant of kind of people's work-life balances. It's, I mean, it's a cool city. Manchester, like we, in I think London, that's undeniable. In London, we've, we've got shortage, right? And you've got, and that's cool, it's a cool part of London, but the whole city here is shortage here. And it's, it's, it's amazing. True. And I think we all said people, right? And talent and people, but it's, 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 it's a young city. And I don't mean young in age, I mean young in mindset. And that's what's cool about it. I like that, I like that. Okay, that has taken, only three minutes past seven. I think that was, I think that was all right. Um, Listen, again, thank you all so much for coming to, to join EG tonight. I'm aware we had more questions than, than we could get through, which is, I suppose, a good problem to have. Apologies if you didn't get yours answered, but um, the bar will still be open. There will even be more canapes. So if you would like to stick around, um, we'd be happy to have the conversation continue. But um, for now, thank you again for coming. Thank you to our, our partners for supporting this event. And most of all, thank you to the panel. I hope you'll join me in, um, in giving them a hand. <laughs>